Hi there, I'm Maddie and I serve on the Joy Production team. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Through taking the time to listen to this message, we pray you'll not only come to know more about God, but you'll come to know more about yourself as well. Once again, thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are in a series that we're calling Two Chains and I want to kind of remind you of a couple of things. I want to start with the scripture this morning. How many of you ever, before I start with the scripture, how many of you have uh, heard, I think it's a Chinese proverb that, that says the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. A journey of a thousand miles will begin with one step. And in a sense, that's what we're talking about in this series of two chains. And in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, uh, the scripture says to us, by the way, we, we had a little projection issue this morning, praise God, hallelujah. Somebody said that pastoring is like juggling. You know, you got two balls in your hand while one ball's in the air, and then you're just always doing this, it seems like. So we had a screen go out this morning, and rather than have you all tip one way, uh, we just keep, we just have the screen in the center. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, above everything else, guard your heart. Everything you do, everybody say everything. everything. How much? Everything. How much more is there after everything? Nothing. Everything you do comes from where? Everything in life, other translations say, proceed from, they flow from. Our lives are lived from the inside to the outside. Christianity is designed to be lived from the inside to the outside. Religion lives from the outside to the inside. Religion is let's, let's you know, change this and stop that and, 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 and make everybody think you're perfect. But Christianity, true Christianity works from the inside to the outside. And so again, he says everything above everything else, above your spouse, above your kids, above your job, above everything else you do, guard your heart. Why? Because the ways you let in will become what? The ways you're set in, the ways that you let into your life, the ways that you, the people that you let in, all of those influences that you let in will become the ways that you become set in. If you want the future you, five years from now, you to be different, that means that you're going to have to do some things differently. He says in verse 26, think carefully about the paths that your feet walk on. Journey of a thousand miles begins with a step, Right? A journey of a thousand miles begins with a step, and just and, and it can be encouraging, I guess, that thought. It can be inspiring to a certain extent, but to be totally honest with you, I think it's a little bit daunting. I think it's a little bit overwhelming. If I'm thinking that I've got to go a thousand miles, anybody else? It's like I'm almost, I'm almost, I almost quit before I start. It's like, how many more of those do I have to do before I get to the end? And notice again, he says this above everything, uh, think carefully about the paths that your feet walk on, the parable of the path. Your direction in life will determine your destination. Future you, five years from now, from now, you is going to look exactly like you look today, only more of it. Because we don't drift into good habits. We don't drift into good things. We tend to drift away from those things. And so again, as he says this, think carefully about the paths that your feet are on. Always choose, always choose the right ways. Who has the power to choose? We have the power of choice. We have the power to choose. Always choose the right ways. Again, because the ways that you let in will become the ways that you are set in. The ways you let in become the ways that you're set in. And so our choices in life are the product of the priorities of our life. And 
This idea that the journey of a thousand steps or a thousand miles begins with a step works for you or it will work against you. And I actually see kind of three things here. <laughs> Choose the right ways. Choose the path carefully. And, and, and conversely, a journey of a thousand miles will begin with a step. But if we are taking a step in the wrong direction, if we're headed the wrong way, if we've chosen the wrong direction of our life, five years from now, guess what? We're still going to be going the wrong way. And I've heard people and talked to people and I've been people. God, I want something different, but I don't want to do anything different. Anyone? I want to be 20 pounds lighter. Well, 30 pounds. 40. Shut up. Come on now. <laughs> Let's not be ridiculous. Sorry, I shouldn't use the word shut up in church. In fact, if you hate the word shut up, I would suggest you not to ever use it. But don't tell me. Anyway, all right. <laughs> 40 pounds. Anyway, maybe you're talking about you. All right. <laughs> um, how we process our life and choose and make choices is so, so important in us. We want we want the good thing. We want the whatever it is. We want to be in shape. We want to be, you know, whatever it could be, that desire of our heart. But if we're not willing to change things, five years from now, we will still be saying the same thing, which is a clue to you that if you're sitting here today thinking, I thought that five years ago, I thought my life would be different than it is today. I'm still got, I've still got the same issues and the same things. It's the reason, again, that in Proverbs 4.26, always choose the right way. How many of you know that's probably the best way to live your life? Always choose the right way. Anyone? But guess what? How many of you know that choosing the right way is not always easy? Galatians 6, 9, you just heard it a moment ago, but Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not get tired of doing what is right. Let us get, not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. After a while, if we don't get tired of doing the right things, doing the right stuff, and we've talked for the last two weeks about this idea of two chains and that, that our life begins with, with a choice or, or many times where we are, it starts with a choice. But the problem with choices is that choices don't stay choices. They become a habit in our life. And after a while, those habits begin to lead us and those habits, we just, we just begin to act in a certain way and it becomes automatic in our life. We go from choosing to get angry, choosing to withhold forgiveness, choosing to, to not be generous, to it becoming an automatic point of our life. It is a default setting of our life, and, and eventually it becomes our identity. It's how we're known. The first three are internal, and they're decisions, and they're things that happen. But after a while, it begins to affect, not immediately, not instantly, but after a while, it begins to affect other people around you, and you know them. You know them in your life or in your relatives or in your family. You know the people that you just, after a while, you kind of get tired of it, and you just say, well, that's them being them. Anyone? Do you know that there's somebody somewhere saying that about you? Now that's just them being them. But we've become blind to it. And after a while, it's become our nature. And when it becomes our nature, that's a stronghold in our life. The Apostle Paul talks about a stronghold that you and I have. And when it becomes a part of our nature, when it becomes so ingrained in us that it's not just our identity that people identify us by, but it's how we believe ourselves to be. And I want to help you in this, in this series. I want to help you in this, this morning. Because this idea that, that 
the stronghold that is in your life that the enemy would try to build. And, 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 and you know, we always, we default to this a lot of times in, in our church world, our church environment. We want everything else around us to change, but we want to stay the same. Amen? That's why, you know, it's convenient in one sense. We do have an adversary, the devil. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is looking for someone to destroy. That's his MO. That's what he does. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy other people through your life. That's what he wants to do. And he's really good at it. But what he's really good at is, is, is he operates in the background and you think it's you. You have an adversary, the, 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 the devil, and he goes about like a roaring lion. He, he's seeking whom he may devour. And, and, and when you begin to believe, remember everything that faith is of the heart. It comes out of the inside. And what you do, Proverbs 4.23, it all flows from the inside. That's why you've got to be careful. You have to let the right things in. And, and we can see this, and, and, and again, this, the idea of two chains to me, at least, the idea of two chains is, in fact, I wrote this down. I want to read this because it just, this was this morning. It becomes a stronghold in your life, and, and that's a negative thought in, in one sense because, because we identify more with the negative, and so the choices that lead to habits that become automatic in our identity becomes our nature. Those things keep us chained to mindsets and patterns and ways of the past, it keeps us to keeps us chained to a, a carnal thinking. It keeps us chained to our, our feelings and, and all of the stuff that can hold us back. When God begins to move in our life, and God says, "Seize the day, seize the moment." There's an opportunity that's in front of you, and we're chained up to the past. We're trying, but it's so ingrained in us that we can't. We're so it's so ingrained in us that we're disqualified, and it holds us back. It keeps us chained. But this principle will, will work for you as well. And this is, <clears throat> this is what I wanted to say. It's negative, but it can be positive because your perspective, we talked about this last week, your perspective is the product of your connections. Your perspective in life is, is the product of what you are connected to, what you are chained to. Your perspective of whether or not God's promise can come, come to pass in your life will be based upon your perspective. Some of you have been raised in environments or you've been taught that God is always mad and he's angry and you, you have to just do everything exactly right or he's not going to hear from you. I've heard people literally say to me, my ears have heard <laughs> these words. I prayed to God and I said, God, I would never ask you for one more thing. I promise that I will never bother you again if you just do this one thing. Can I tell you, God will never answer that prayer. You want to know what moves God? Faith and humility. That's what brings the grace of God is faith and humility. I don't deserve it, God, but you've made a promise, and I've come to you. Your connection will base, basically be the perspective of your life. And so I want to encourage you one more time. There is another chain. There is another connection. You can choose Jesus, and many of you have. But that's, and that's the one big, I'm calling this this morning, links, not sausage. <clears throat> but links. Because your choices, you made a choice for Jesus. You accepted him as the savior of your life. And you might think you're done, but he's not done with you. 
Because he wants that choice to become a habit in your life. And he wants that habit to be something that is now automatic. Instead of complaining, instead of being angry, instead of being frustrated, I'm now offering up the sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of my lips. I'm worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And pretty soon it'll become your identity. They're going to be shaking their heads and saying, yeah, that's just that crazy Christian being a crazy Christian. Just always happy, happy, happy. Don't know why. They're not depressed and discouraged and angry like we are. And eventually it becomes your nature, becomes so ingrained in you that when the difficulties happen, that's what God wants to do to your life. And again, your connection, your perspective in life is going to be based on your connection. Whether you realize it or not, you're connected to Christ. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and makes your body alive. Jesus is alive on the inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is true. We exist as a church to help you know God. We want you to know him, not about him, but know him. And we want you to find freedom in your life. And that's going to happen based on your connections. And just like this will work against you, that your choices become habits. The people, the ways that you let into your life will become the ways that you are set in. The people that you let into your life, and, and there are some you have no choice about who comes into your life. And there are others that you choose to allow into your life, that speak into your life. And that connection with people, that connection with ideas, that connection with ways of the past can be something that will hold you in bondage or bring you into greater life. And so I have a suggestion for you this morning. Check your circle. Check your circle. Who is in your circle? Who is it that is around you that speaks into your life? Who is it that is around you? And, uh, and again, we can't choose everybody that, that is around us, but we can choose to allow their influence in our life. It might be family members. It might be coworkers. Again, your perspective in life is going to be based upon your connections in life. I said this several months ago, <clears throat> but experts say that you will become Go ahead and put that up, please. Experts say that you will become the average of the top five people that you hang around the most. Check your circle. If you're hanging around people <laughs> that are constantly depressed and discouraged, guess what's going to happen to you? That is going to become a part of your life. And you can choose to let that in or you can choose to not let that in. Your circle is so important. The people that are around you, and, and <clears throat> I know that there are people who come to this church and feel alone. They're lonely. They feel like they're the only one. And that's what the enemy likes to do. He wants to isolate you and make you feel like you're the only one going through this. You're the only one who's had this happen to you. You're the only one who feels like you feel. Can I tell you that's a lie? There's no, con there's no temptation that's come, that, that, that has come to a person that somebody else hasn't experienced it already. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every point like as, as, as we are and he did it without failure. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have, you know, if you look around this room and a couple of services that we'll have today, a couple of hundred, three, four hundred people, adults that will be in this room that have the life of God in them. 
We offer small groups. We encourage you, man, whether it's, whether, whether it is, a, you know, a, a fellowship small group, a, a group to get together with, with just hanging out and having fun. Uh, there are study groups. We've got groups for teenagers. We've got groups for kids, uh, or I'm sorry, for, for adults. And, 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 you know, I had somebody ask me last week, what was that, what was that anxiety group again? <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, what do you mean the anxiety? Well, somebody's talking about that anxiety group. I said, there's a whole bunch of them out there. Go find one. Say, well, yeah, but I just, you know, I just, you know, it's amazing to me the excuses that we use to stay the same and then complain that nothing's changed. That was for second service people. You guys can disregard that because you're all perfect. Praise God. Amen. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the links of our life. Because it's one thing to understand the ways you let in will become the ways you're set in. And it's big picture. We understand that. And, and last week we introduced two chains. There, there, you can be connected to your past and it's going to hold you back. But there's a greater connection. And your perspective in life is going to be determined by, by the ability for us to recognize the connection with Christ. And, and learn who we are and understand who God has made us to be. But it happens in those little links. Step by step, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And so in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 17, the first part of it, it says this. <clears throat> oh, I preached through a whole bunch of notes. Exodus 3.17 says, I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world system. It's a type of the past. It's a type of, of a life that is controlled and dominated by the enemy. And, he, and God has made a promise. After all of these years of slavery, God is saying, I've heard your cries. I've heard the things that you've desired. I, I hear those things, and I'm now going to bring you up out of the land of misery. You, you were slaves, but you'll no longer be slaves anymore. And it's interesting, the journey of a, to me anyway, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. This was an 11-day journey. For God to bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land, who can tell me how long the journey actually took? 40 years. It took 40 years to take an 11-day journey. Now some of you know why. How come it seems like I'm just always going through the same stuff? So I want to help you with some things this morning. He goes on and he says, again, I promise to bring you up out of, out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that's flowing with milk and honey. And I know you church veterans understand what that phrase means. It means that God is bringing them into a promise, bringing them into something better than they had before. In fact, something better than they've ever known before. And perhaps you've heard that phrase. And, 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 and for those of us that grew up in church, I remember, you know, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye over to the happy shore where my possessions lie. The idea that eventually I'm, this life stinks, this life is hard, there's nothing good in it, but eventually I'm going to die, and when I die, I get to go to heaven and I'm going to get the promise of God. Can I tell you that's a lie, again. God doesn't want you to live in that. That's slave thinking. That's a, that's a mentality that we need to remove from our mindsets. It's a chain, and it holds us back. God wants to give us life in this life. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Anybody experiencing abundant life today? If you're not, it's not God's fault. He's put some things in motion for you to experience them. And we call those the exceeding great and precious promises of God. He said, I'm bringing you into this land. 
And we think, God, why is it taking so long? Which is why Galatians 6, 9 is so relevant and so important. Don't get weary in doing what is good. Don't get weary in doing what is right. Because eventually, if you continue to make choices to do the right thing, it will become a habit. But eventually, it's going to bring you into something that God has for you. So don't get weary in doing well. Listen to this in the book of James, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 3. For when the way's rough, we're all just going to get together and we're going to cry about how hard it is. No. When the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. Everybody say grow. You know what God wants from you or for you? He wants you to grow. Growth means change. Growth means pain. It isn't easy to grow. Your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't, this is funny to me, and don't try to squirm out of your problems. Man, I didn't like this when I first read it. Because we become masters at blaming other people for our problems, don't we? We become masters at blaming circumstances for, well, if it wasn't for this, then I'd have that. And if God would just do this, then this and this and that, and, you know, then, don't try to, Don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, and this is what God wants for you, when your patience is finally in full bloom, then, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. I've said this the last couple of weeks. God wants more from you or for you than for you to simply be a follower of Jesus, for you to simply be a church attender. He wants you to become more like him. He wants you to act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, live like Jesus, work like Jesus, do the works of Jesus. That's what he desires for you. That's what he wants for you. You will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Now, let me give you a quick story here. And I know I'm throwing a whole lot of stuff at you today, but it's link by link. It's thought by thought. I told you the first week of this series that I'm preaching one message. I just got to divide it over four weeks. For your benefit as well as mine. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Again, part of the promise. God says, I'm bringing you into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that's got other people in it, but I'm bringing you into it. And and in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, when the Lord God brings you into the land. Notice a process here. I've said this before that sometimes our, our, our walk with God is like checkers or it is like chess. God does something that he waits for us to respond to the something he does, and then God does something more in, in, in our behalf. And you see this here. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, and let's not get the jobs mixed up here, who brings us into the land or into that promised land? Who does that? God does. You cannot get there without God to settle something in your life. You cannot get anywhere without God. He wants to be number one in your life. He wants you to learn to trust him, to depend upon him. And so again, he says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, notice that you are entering to possess. Who enters the land? Who possesses the land? I do. God brings us to the land and we enter in to possess future tense. It doesn't mean we possess all of it immediately, but there is something that is happening that allows us to possess the promise that God brings us into. Then he says, and he drives out, let me read in context again, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, God brings us, that you are entering to possess, we possess it, and he drives out before you 
many nations. Again, can't do it without God. He brings us into. We take steps to possess. And when does God begin to drive out the enemies before us? After we've taken steps to possess. That's faith. There are things that God wants to bring you into that require one step. And you're not going to know. You're not going to know why. You're not going to know how. You're not going to know whether or not it's even going to happen. But if you're willing to take the step, he says, I will then do something. What we want is God to do everything. We want to, you know, whatever it is, we want to win the lottery. We want to, you know, have, have some uncle or aunt or somebody die. We want something to happen. And then all the promise comes to us. No, God says you're going to take a step and then I'm going to do something and then you're going to take another step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a step. Your walk in, in Christ, your walk of faith begins with a step. And notice again, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to possess, and he drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. Wait a minute, God, I got a problem here. You're talking to me about a land that flows with milk and honey. You're talking to me about promises. You're talking to me about bringing me into something I've never had before, but you're also telling me that there's seven stronger and bigger than me. There's a problem with the promise. I don't need a promise like that because that sounds more like problems. I got enough problems, God. Why do you want to bring me into something that is just more problems? In the, in the context, <clears throat> each and every one of these was a bigger nation. It was a stronger nation. It was progressively more difficult. I think we've been taught a shallow version of Christianity, Christianity that, that, that falls on, on a couple of problems. One is that there's no promise, there's no blessing in this life. Everything good is going to happen when you get to heaven. That's wrong. Because God has made you, <laughs> God's made you pregnant, if you will. With the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering. Those things are in you right now. You can experience His love and enjoy. You can live in that peace that passes all understanding in this life. If you're aware of your connection. And that's what's happening here. They're connected to God, but they're also connected to their own strength, to their own ability. Again, he says, seven nations larger and stronger than you. Skipping down to verse 17, he says, you may say, this is so funny, you may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. God, wait a second, I, I might not have said that until you pointed it out in the first verse. You might say, God, you reminded me of it. In fact, we agree. You're saying that they're stronger than, 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 than I am, and I'm saying they're stronger than I am. But it's your connection. Notice what he says. Do not be terrified, or I'm sorry. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? Your perspective, based on your connection. If your connection is based on, or your perspective is based on your strength, your ability, your wisdom, if your perspective is based on that, then you are going to say, that issue is bigger than I am. That stronghold in my life is greater than I am. 
because my perspective is based on my ability, my thinking, my past, what my friends say, what has already happened in, in, in my life. How can we drive them out? If it's all up to me, then I am going to view my issues, my problems, my giants, if you will, as greater and stronger than me. Verse 18, but don't be afraid of them. How can I not be afraid? They're bigger than I am. They're stronger than I am. They're more powerful than I am. Do not be afraid of them. Remember well. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Instead of putting yourself first, put God first. Instead of putting what you can do first, put God first. God brings you into the land. You step in to possess, and God drives out the enemies. But you got to take steps. It goes on in verse 21. Don't be terrified by them. For the Lord your God who is among you is great, is a great, and he's an awesome God. God is saying, I want you to remember the deliverance that you experienced. I defeated. Here's a slave nation. 400 plus years, 400 years living as slaves in the land of Egypt. And God brought them out of what was the most technically advanced, militarily advanced society. God brought them out with their gold and with their silver. God plundered a mighty nation. God used the weak things of this world to confound the things that were mighty. And he, he did it after they took some steps. But he's not done. Verse 22, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Notice these next three words, little by little. I knew that would make you excited this morning. You want to know why it's taking so long? <clears throat> the problem is not you necessarily. See, we tend to internalize this. Well, God, you know, what, what weakness, what sin, what this, what that? Some of this is the, the design of God. He does this little by little, and there's a reason. He says, he said, uh, again, I'm going to drive out those nations, those enemies before you, little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once, or the wild animals will multiply around you. This is not what they wanted to hear. God, you're bringing me into the, uh, a land that flows with milk and honey. You're bringing me into this promised land, but there's seven nations that are stronger than I am. And then not only that, when I go in, you're going to do it little by little. Why is that? Why is it that you're going to do it? Little by little among us. Remember what James said? Don't try to squirm out of your problems. Because he wants patience to have its perfect work in our life. So that we can fu be full and complete and not want anything. I've said this many times to this congregation. I want to say it again. That the, 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 the lesson of the wilderness was God asking the nation of Israel a question. Will you trust me for today? Will you trust me to be enough for this day that you're living in right now? He gave them manna from heaven. He didn't give them a bakery. What happens to bread if you let it sit for a couple of weeks? Actually, I have found that that is not true anymore. Shelly and I were just talking about this. We bought a loaf of bread from a place. I won't tell you where. It sat in our drawer for six months. And it looked the same. There was nothing growing on it. I was like, we will never eat this bread again. You buy a good loaf of bread and it gets moldy, it gets stale. God does not want your relationship to get moldy and stale. What is human nature? If God did it all for us all at once, we would never pray again. If God did it all for us, everything, we would, and I've seen it. 
can happen to people. God, God moves mightily in their life, and they're starting to possess the promise, and, and there's peace in their life, and there's blessing in their life, there's prosperity in their life, and pretty soon they forget God. And so God says, I, I don't want to bring you into this too quickly because, first of all, if I do, you're going to forget me. And secondly, you're not ready. You're not ready to, to, to possess this in its entirety because there's some stuff. Remember David. David was anointed. Actually, he was anointed to be king three times. And the first time, he was just a young lad. There was some life, there was some stuff he had to learn before he could ascend to the throne and become the ruler that God wanted him to become. We see Joseph in that same situation. He, he knew from a young age what God's plan was, that he would be a ruler. But God had to bring him through some stuff to prepare him, for him to defeat some things in his life. And God wants to bring you and I through those things so that his character will be developed in us. The lesson of the wilderness was, will you trust me for today? But when they got into the promised land, the lesson was, can I trust you? What, what will happen to you? I think is God's question. When I bless you, how are you going to respond to the blessing that I bring into your life? What are you going to use it for? Are you going to forget me? Are you going to put yourself first instead of me? If you can't say amen, say, oh, me. Same story in the book of Exodus with one added detail. Verse 29 of Exodus chapter 23. I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate. God does not want desolation from, through, or around our life. He wants fruitfulness in our life. Amen? He wants fruitfulness in our life. Here, and is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You want to know what gives God glory when you start bearing fruit. I will not, or I'm sorry, where am I at here? Exodus 23, 29, I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you've increased enough to take possession of the land. Again, if we aren't ready to step into it or God wants to develop some things in our heart and in our life, wants us to keep stepping. He wants us to keep moving. Your choice will lead to a habit. Your choice to continue to step will become a habit in your life. And, and if we're choosing steps, we can get tired of doing the right thing uh, and, and continually doing the right thing. But doing the right thing little by little, little by little, step by step, brings us into a great inheritance or a great blessing or a great, a great promise. Every single one of these instances in the life of Israel was God showing them what happens when they depend upon him. Every single one of these incidences was building a dependence upon God in the life or in the nation of Israel. And here's what it all led up to. I want to read this scripture, and I've got just a <clears throat> minute or two left here. And this is something that, that I'm seeing more and more, and, and, and maybe partly it's just a, a product of me being old, <laughs> older. It's as old as I've ever been. And um, <clears throat> in First Chronicles chapter uh, 11, there's, there's, let me just cut to the chase here. There's two promises that are about to be fulfilled. I mentioned to you earlier that David was anointed to be king three times. That promise from the first time that he was anointed by the prophet to the time that he, well, really to the time of this, when he, when he was 
well, I should, when, when he was uh, officially the, the king, was about 20 years. A lot of life happened in 20 years. And it started out for David, and I don't know why it's just human nature. We always put ourselves at the middle of every promise. How does this affect me? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? Or if it doesn't seem like it benefits me, then I don't really care about it. And David had to go through a process because his first question when it came to killing Goliath was, one of his first questions was, what does a guy get? (laughs) Whoever kills him, what does he get? Well, you get the king's daughter, you get to live tax. I mean, you got a whole bunch of stuff, man. And he's like, that's pretty good. I think I'll give it a shot. And, and, and there, was, there was that inner struggle. He knew God. and He knew that God had delivered him from a lion and a bear. And he knew that the giant was not going to be a problem. But he also had some carnal thinking. It's like, hey, I'm going to get some cool stuff. And they're gonna, they, they started singing songs about him. And, and there were some things that God wanted to bring through him as well. And bring him through in his development. But in this story, it's, it's, it's also a, the promise of 480 years that God had made to the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to bring you into the land that flows with milk and honey, and I'm going to bring you into it little by little, not right away, but you're going to get it over time. And so we see these two promises coming together. It says, all of Israel came together to David at Hebron, and he said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, even while Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord your God said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. And you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, he made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, as the Lord had promised through Samuel, again, 20 years ago. Verse 4, David said to all the, David and all the Israelites marched towards Jerusalem, that is, Jebus. <laughs> Jebus was in the very heart of Israel. It was the strongest nation. It was the strongest, most fortified city. It had never been defeated. So David marched there. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, you will not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. This picture is a heart condition that is in all of us. And there's peripheral things that God wants to deal with in our life, or, or we let him deal with the periphery of things that cause us pain or cause people around us that we love pain. And so through self-examination, we bring changes into our life. We, we learn and we grow. We, we learn how to interact. We learn how to have relationships that are healthy and not needy. We learn how to be doers of the word of God and let the fruit of the spirit live through us. There are things that are lodged deep in us that many times it's the stronghold that we don't even know about. It has become so ingrained in us, patterns and behaviors so ingrained in us that we don't know they're there. Moments that we depend more on our strength and ability or we live by the pattern that others have told us about, led us to believe. God says, I want to change that. I want to change that in you change that in your life. I don't know what it is. I think it's human nature. We make every promise about us. But I'm seeing more and more that God wants to do things in me because he's got a really big plan. He's got a plan for my life, but he's got a plan for this city. He's got a plan for this world. 
and that God wants to bring me into some things and work in my life in some things, and he wants to work in your life in some things that have really very little to do about you. It has everything to do, and we, we use the scripture the very first week. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life so that you and your seed, your choices today will affect the people around you tomorrow. The ways that you let into your life are going to affect your seed, your children, and your children's children. We talk about, you know, man, get, get involved in church. I am, I'm a product today because my mom not only got involved in church, there were times literally by the ear she got me involved in church. I hated every moment of it. I literally had friends invite me to things on a Wednesday night so I didn't have to go to church on Wednesday night. She wouldn't let me out of it. She was mean. I didn't realize how much she loved me. I didn't realize that all of my whining and complaining and name calling and all the garbage that I threw at her, I didn't realize how important it was. It wasn't a choice I made, <laughs> but it became a habit, and that habit changed my life. Today I stand here before you and say, hey, parents, it's worth it. It is worth it to live it in front of your children. It is worth it to do the hard things, to continually do the right thing, because the right thing doesn't just affect you, the right thing affects those around you. Your choices and habits don't just affect you. They bring you into something, but they'll bring your family. They'll bring your loved ones. They'll bring other people. When it's your nature and it's so ingrained in you that it is how you respond, people will appreciate it in your life. Would you bow your heads and you close your eyes this morning? <clears throat> it's all about links. Step by step, little by little, God wants to bring you into some things. Don't be weary in doing well. Understand your connections. I'm connected to Christ. I'm connected to a resource and a reservoir that will never run dry. I'm, I'm connected to the most high God. I'm connected to the most powerful, powerful, powerful being who loves me and has set his affection upon me. I, I'm, I'm connected to God and he's put his spirit on the inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And every promise that God has made to any believer in Christ is true of me. Everything that he has said is true about a person that is in Christ is true about me because I am in Christ. So I'm a new creation. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have the wisdom of God on the inside of me right now. I have a resource that is inexhaustible of strength and life and joy. 